Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello folks, welcome to this week's 1% Better episode. It is an, a 1% Better episode after a few weeks of me, myself and EI episodes, parts of that spin-off series all around emotional intelligence. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do. There's been a lot of good, interesting feedback, mostly positive. That's never completely the case, but uh, it's all all good to hear what people are thinking. The one we released last Friday was with Dr. Tasha Yorick. She is a New York Times bestselling author and a deep dive into self-awareness. It was internal, external, all types. Fascinating, really, really good. And I would definitely say it Download that one straight after this one, if you haven't already, well worth a listen. And in the last week or so, I just put a post on LinkedIn myself. I have finished up after 11 and a half years working for Dell Technologies and EMC mixed in there. And I'm now moving into a role with Gartner, which is really, really exciting. I'm going to be focusing in on a lot of the topics I talk to people about in this podcast around leadership, people development, culture and diversity and inclusion and certainly post-pandemic stuff. So really excited about that. And I have a few weeks now before that starts and hopefully all going well, still be able to do 1% better episodes. We'll see how it all plays out. Have a lot of stuff in the pipeline anyway, so there's always going to be some content coming out. But that's an aside. The main topic for this one is about you guys and helping you potentially get back into the job market and get yourself a new role or change a role. Because this one is all about how best to prepare for interviews and how to do your research beforehand, thinking about the questions you might get asked in an interview, the do's and don'ts, a complete walkthrough of the overall process, not only the actual interviews itself, but how you can manage your wellness when you're not working, how you can put routine into your day, and then the whole applying, preparing, interview, follow-up process. All of that is in this one. Lots of questions and lots of great answers from my guest, Lorraine Shine, who I have had the pleasure of knowing for a long time and was delighted to get her on. And the timing probably couldn't be better right now as so many folks are unfortunately in situations they mightn't have been in before where they're now trying to get back to work where they may have been working for a long time, haven't done a CV in forever how long or a resume if you're a US listener. And that's the stark reality. And now this is hopefully going to provide them with some insights, some tools, some ideas that they can use. Lorraine has a background in coaching, working with people for a number of years. She set up her own business career and interview success a few years ago, and she is absolutely best positioned to help folks in this area. Now, I will give you Lorraine Shine on interview success, CVs and career planning. Enjoy. Welcome to another 1% Better interview, and I think this one will certainly be fitting for some of the times we're in at the moment from the perspective of challenging times. You know, there's a lot of unemployment there as we're recording this. It's the middle of April. I think there's record un- unemployment numbers, and that probably doesn't seem to change anytime soon, but hopefully from some of the 
advice that comes from this one you might have some ideas on how you could get back into the to the workplace when things start to pick up my guest in this one is lorraine shine she's a career coach executive coach corporate trainer very much focusing on career and interview success lorraine welcome to the podcast thank you rob thanks very much for inviting me today so i would say this is uh, the first time i've had uh, two sisters on the podcast so your sister Amy was on at some point last year and and now yourself now this is in totally different focus areas experience is slightly different so I'm looking forward to hearing and learning from from you here in this one uh, Lorraine absolutely looking forward to it as well Great. And we probably get through a lot of questions because I think with, you know, with anyone thinking about how to prepare for an interview, get their CV out, there's a million and one questions that that come up that I suppose be applicable to nearly everyone when they're going for a job interview or preparing. So lots of good stuff to come there. Let's talk a little bit about you first, Dolorain. Talk to me about your background, where you're coming from, how you got into this kind of specific area. I know you're a coach in general. You have I think you're ICF coach certified as well, right? Yeah, so I have a diploma in coaching that I did in 2009 with Positive Success Group. Mm-hmm. And then I have some add-on diplomas after that as well. You've kind of made the distinction more to focus in on interview success, CVs, that focus area. What, what brought you into that specific area? Where it started was I did a degree in business and HR in German, actually, in UL. So it was quite a long time ago now. Um, and I, after graduation I went to Luxembourg and hmm. um, so I was looking for a role in the HR space and um, I ended up working actually for a recruitment company over there um, it was mainly financial services because it's it's a big banking industry over there. Mm-hmm. The way things evolved then I ended up staying in recruitment for a long time for almost 18 years um, I travelled with it as well so um, I worked in, in recruitment in Sydney um, then came back to Dublin and then eventually back to Cork, Cork where I'm from originally. That was very much you know a career focus area for a very long time and then as I mentioned in 2009 I decided to do the uh, diploma in, um, in coaching so cover a few different areas including executive coaching so it was through that that I realized that you know that was really a passion for me and mm-hmm. um, I, I kept on doing the coaching even when I was working full-time in recruitment um because I, I wanted to keep it up I wanted to keep practicing and mm-hmm. um, so it was, I suppose it was a matter of doing it in the evenings and weekends and things like that. Yeah I, I took that approach probably for the next eight years after that mm-hmm. and the coaching bug never really left me and then I, I made that final decision of my own business in 2019. Like a lot of people I've talked to that have done coaching diplomas or got a, into coaching masters it's really transformative when you went through the diploma when you look back on it now what were the kind of aha moments for you what was the standout things that said wow this is really where my sweet spot is this is what I want to do now that I've you know grown up sort of thing anything come up for you there? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, going into it, I didn't realise how much work there was going to be on the self. You know, that was really, there was a huge focus on that. Mm. Um, and, you know, that brought up a lot of stuff. So, you know, that was so, so interesting just to, you know, really increase your own self-awareness before you you went and worked with anyone else or, you know, coached anyone else. Um, but I think... You know, it, it's kind of one of these things you, I think you almost need to go through it to really realise what it is, you know, to coach others and be coached as well. But I think what I really loved about it and what I still really love about it is that it's almost like you're you have to take your ego completely out of the process. 
So as the coach, you're there to support your client. You know, you're there to help them. There's no hidden agenda. The only agenda that's there is what they want to do, what they want to achieve and how you can help and support them with that. So that just sits really strongly with my own values. And it's even I think it's hard to describe, I suppose, the feeling that you get you get when you walk away from a session that kind of it's a real feel good factor, I think, for both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose just to see, you know, the the changes that people can make, you know, through the coaching process, whatever that is that they want to change or that they want to achieve or, you know, supposed becoming even like even better versions of themselves. Yeah, the the word self. I actually just interviewed a lady last week, Dr. Zelda de Blasi. She's a uh, she, she works in UCC. She's positive psychology works in there. And we did a whole episode just on the self itself. So it'll be interesting when I get that one out. I, I know it, it probably is. It's part of this overall emotional intelligence kind of series that I'm kicking yes. off. And, and I know you've, you've got a passion for emotional intelligence. Obviously, that's a big fu- fundamental to, to coaching as well. Do you see as people develop their careers and focus in on and some of the topics we're going to talk about what parts of maybe emotional intelligence is very important in that i i think every part of emotional intelligence is important you know it's it and it's starting with the self like you know what we were just just discussing there so i think people become Becoming more aware of, you know, I suppose what their strengths and maybe what their blind spots are and then how that can impact on, you know, the people that they work with, people that they come into contact with every day. I think for all of us, that's a work in progress. You know, I think we all have blind spots as well, but emotional intelligence is a really, it's a great tool. I suppose for drawing awareness to those those various pinch points. And I think actually it is thinking about this today, actually, just how that, you know, that impulse control, I think that's really coming into to play, you know, I suppose with the current situation and how we handle things as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I might ask a question around impulse control in a minute when we kind of start talking about applying for roles. But no, that's a great kind of backdrop to your own career and, and I suppose how we get into the next topic. It it, inter- it does interest me. It seems like you've always taken control of your own career. W- would that be fair to say that you, you've kind of guided it, you've had a clear plan, a strategy to that? I think I did, Rob. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think I did. But having said that, it definitely wasn't an easy decision like to go out and set up my own business because I was coming from, you know, a great company, really supportive, you know, permanent secure role with nice salary at the end of each month. And, you know, I, I completely understood the risk of stepping out of that and you know into this kind of unknown you don't know how much business is out there how you're going to approach things what's going to happen that was that definitely took you know a number I suppose it took a number of years but it probably took a whole summer to decide okay am I going to do this or not Mm. Um, so while yeah I took control it was still you know it was it was a tricky enough decision to make but one that I'm glad that I did I did make Mm-hmm. And I suppose as I asked that question, I'm thinking as well, this could be very applicable to somebody listening that could be in the same situation as, as you were, right? So that you were at a point where you wanted to make your own career path and take take a controlled step out and apply for something else that they already have a, a solid job, they want to go in a different direction. So so although we started off talking about a lot of people maybe that are lost their jobs and are going back into the labor labor market or labor force, that this could be 
um, for people that still have a job but thinking about applying for something else. So it's kind of keeping it quite open from that point of view. All right, with all of that rambling, um, let's talk about people looking for a role, eager to get back into work or make a change. What are the, I suppose, initial things they should be thinking about looking after themselves, I suppose, as a starting point? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, looking after yourself, that. That's a really important starting point at the moment because we're in a very unusual situation. You know, it's it's unprecedented. None of us have ever, have ever come across this before. So for someone who is about to step into, I suppose, a job search process, I think there might be, you know, I suppose, obstacles just even within their own mindset that may be there for them now that may not have been maybe six months ago, for example. You know, obviously we have all the physical restrictions and, and things that are uncertain and outside of our control. But what I would say is that I think there are things that are within our control that we can work on. And, you know, there's certain steps that we can take both physically and I suppose mentally as well to kind of set ourselves up better for getting into that job search mindset. Okay, and maybe can you give some examples potentially on what 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 you could do both physically and mentally? Yeah, absolutely. So I think you know you actually talked on a, a one minute Monday recently about you know the physical side. I think about you know we have this you know I suppose uh, flexibility to you know to get out there and we have mm-hmm. the two kilometers that we can use. So whatever form of exercise is your your you know whatever you like doing, whatever you enjoy doing. But I think it's really important that we do that on a daily basis it's just getting out there you know getting the fresh air moving our bodies it just it always makes us feel better I think when we get back home um, so I think that's really important the I suppose the, the bit of physical exercise and um, I think sleep is really important at the moment and you know it's it's natural I've you know talked to a lot of friends about this as well you know where okay, you don't have to be up maybe quite as early because you don't have the commute so you might stay up a little bit later than watching something or whatever it is or maybe you know reading which is fine but the thing is that we we still need the same amount of sleep that we did previously you know so if you're staying much later and you know even if you do get to sleep in a little bit more it, it will still have an impact the next day so I think if possible, if you want to get into that positive mindset, you know, for for a job search, you know, to make sure you're getting enough sleep to give you that bit of, you know, extra energy and motivation the next day. It really makes a difference. Yeah. Getting a routine going, I suppose, if you're unemployed and you have all, you know, you're not working um, and even in this time where you're not even able to do a whole lot else, you can have so much time in your hands. It can uh, it can start to overwhelm the the boredom I suppose that can come up yeah absolutely so you know that that's probably the physical side then I think the mental side there you know there's probably a number of of things that are within our control as well Um, I would say first of all in terms of you know social media and kind of exposure to media and I think we've all been bombarded with that you know know since since the start of I suppose the the current situation and I think a lot of people have mentioned to me that they found it quite overwhelming because it's everywhere. It's the radio. It's even ads on the radio. Mm. It's social media. It's WhatsApp messages. It's everything. Like it's really difficult to get away from it. Mm. But what I would say is that it is actually within your control. You know, so you you know if you even decided, okay, I'm going to go to one trusted source each day. So whatever that is for you, let's say if it's I don't know the RT news, and decide what time you're going to listen to that, rather than constantly checking for updates all day, 
you know, or this kind of social media scrolling, which look, we're probably all guilty of it, but it's not great mindset wise and it can lead to more anxiety and overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think for, for the month of May, I'm setting myself a challenge to to kind of get really strict on how much time I spend on, on different social media sites. What what approaches would you recommend, though, for somebody to start weaning off that or to, 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 to limit the amount of time they watch RT? I think I've watched CNN more than I've ever watched any TV show in the last month just because, and it's just repeating every 15 minutes the same things, but we're all yeah. drawn in. How do, we, how do we block it out and stick with it being out? Like you can give it up for three or four hours. We had a and no coronavirus Sunday there last weekend. You know, I was still looking forward to six o'clock when I, I was getting terrible news, but you still kind of wanted yeah. it. How do you we kind of pull I, away? I heard it called Novid. You had a Novid Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Resisted, yeah. So, like, I think look, it depends because I think people consume information in different ways. And, you know, some people, they're just, you know, they, they really enjoy social media and that's fine. It just depends, I suppose, on what your tolerances are. But I know personally, I, I even started doing this in January before all of this happened because I kind of made some, I suppose, New Year's intentions around it. But, for example, with WhatsApp groups, um, I muted them so I can go in and check it, but they're not showing up on you know, on the front page of my phone. Um, I actually deleted the Facebook app from my from my smartphone as well, which was really hard, to be honest. That was quite painful for the first couple of weeks because I really had that, you know, that FOMO, fear yeah. of missing out. <laughs> and But I'm so glad now because now I'm not tempted to go to my phone and, and check Facebook, for example. Um, so I think, it, look, it depends. Maybe if even if people looked at, okay, where am I spending most of my time? So if it is on a certain social media platform, how can you maybe reduce that down then? And I think it's just tuning in, being mindful of how much time we're spending on on certain platforms. Yeah, yeah. And and maybe, and I've noticed even with myself, my partner where we would probably be, you know, on WhatsApp or on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. She more, more is on WhatsApp groups and it's kind of, we'd slag each other off a little bit about it. But <laughs> yeah. you could almost, set up a, a competition with each other to to minimize it or to, to kind of block it out and sometimes because people are naturally competitive in lots of ways and it's kind of yeah. almost gamify it absolutely or even just like having an accountability body you know so if you do if you live with someone you know like that it's just well how much time you know did you spend on facebook today or how much time did you spend on whatsapp you know and there are you can there are reports you can get on your phone as well you know to tell you how much screen screen time you had yeah. which can be a bit scary it is very scary yeah definitely <laughs> uh, and it's 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 hard to believe even that when you when it pops up like three hours or whatever per day you know that's I'd often say like if, if you're three hours that you could nearly run a marathon in four hours. You know, you could you can really reclaim so much time if you can cut it cut it out. So absolutely. Um, you know, up. absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think you know, there's been a lot of research done this to say that like what it what it produces in us, you know, checking our phones, checking our social media, is it, it produces a like a dopamine hit, like which is it's that it's very short short, it's a short-lived experience and it's not great for us if we keep going for that and you know it's better if we focus more on things that produce serotonin so things that are you know it's not screen-based 
whatever that is for you. Yeah, no, very, very good. So there's some kind of tools or tips to try and get yourself in a in a good frame of mind as you're starting to apply for roles and just in general, I suppose they don't have to be related to applying for work, but just getting yourself in a better position. I was talking, I was coaching somebody not so long ago, and this kind of maybe will apply here. And they were unemployed and they were looking for new positions and they were getting a little bit desperate and they had said they had applied for something like 70 jobs over the course of a weekend so it was very much a scattergun approach just going after everything and you know maybe they're getting a bit of a dopamine hit every time they send in their cv kind of get excited that uh, that could be so how would you and you're, you're scrunching up there when i said that so what would uh, <laughs> what would your your thoughts be around that and, and when they're starting to kind of prepare to apply for positions yeah okay so what i would say and i think particularly for anyone who maybe hasn't gone out searching for a job in in a while in a couple of years you know um it might feel overwhelming at the start and you're thinking oh my god there's so many ways that i can approach this job search where do i start what do i do like what do i do first so i think you know try to maybe draw up like a really simple plan for yourself and maybe even just have your top three priorities and start with those and don't worry about anything else you know, get through those top three things now those top three things could be different you know depending on what industry what market you're coming from what level of seniority you're at but like what, what I recommend just I suppose for you know someone who's who's generally starting out is first of all if you want to maybe look at the, the job websites that are relevant to your industry and sector and the majority of them have an area where you can go in and select um, or you can set up like an email job alert to be sent to you every day. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really easy just to go in, you select, um, you know, the industry, the job titles you'd be interested in, the location, then what preferences you have for like part time, full time contract. And then these will be emailed to you on a daily basis. So you don't have to keep on going in and out of different jobs, websites. So that's a really thing mm -hmm. that definitely narrows it down the second thing really simple again i would just let like let your friends and family know that you're looking but it's not just about letting them know that you're looking it's about specifying what you would consider so let's say for example if um you're working in sales support at the moment but previously you worked in maybe admin support type roles um so set out what you'd, what you'd be open to considering, because a lot of the time I find that people say, oh, yeah, no, I let people know that I'm looking, you know, and then I'll ask them, OK, but what did you what exactly did you communicate to them? And they'll say, oh, just, you know, I, I'm just open for roles at the moment and I'd be able to start straight away. But it's like you have to give people the information that would that they could actually use to help you. So, you know, what are the kind of roles you'd consider? You know, if you've always worked in permanent roles, would you consider contract or temporary now, you know, to get you back onto the jobs market? What kind of locations would you consider, you know, even maybe salary ranges, that type of thing? Because people that you know will make assumptions about you and they'll say, oh, well, look, no, you know, he works in sales support, so he probably wouldn't consider an admin role. So, so it, it's, it's up to us as job seekers to give that information you know, to, to people in our network. Well, in the last few years, LinkedIn seems to be the, the go-to place for looking for jobs, purely because you're on it anyway, and there's a good jobs uh, section on it. And I can't remember the last time I looked 
really at a, any other site than LinkedIn, maybe maybe Monster, I don't know if that even still exists, and so, how, yeah. how that has changed, say, 12 years ago when I was probably last time I was looking for a job, it had, you know, LinkedIn probably wasn't even really up and running at that stage. So is that the best place to go, depending on what you're looking for, or, or what are the best sites to look for? LinkedIn is super. It's absolutely brilliant. So if you already have a profile on LinkedIn and you already have a professional network built up, that is excellent. So it would definitely be going there as one of your top three priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what people forget about a little bit in terms of who's in their network is they forget to tap into people that they've worked with before. So ex-colleagues, you know, and even ex-clients or ex-customers, because when you think about it, these people know you really well. They've worked with you. You know, they probably will be really happy to recommend you for a job opportunity. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily about if you've 2000 contacts on LinkedIn, it's not about reaching out to all of those, but reaching out to the ones who actually know you and who would recommend you. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Creating yeah, like a log book of, yeah. Rob, so there's like there are jobs advertised on LinkedIn as well. So obviously that's that's another really good option. Mm. Do you find that people are very good at kind of creating like a, a diary of, of folks that who they worked with, what their industry was in to, to have that on hand? It's like obviously we have all those connections in LinkedIn, but it, you probably have to scroll down through it before you would remember some of those people. But just keeping something handy in an Excel sheet of potential future employers or potential future uh, colleagues you know is that something that is useful it would be really useful but i haven't come across many people who've done it to mm-hmm. be honest yeah. um but like you know it's it, yeah absolutely that would be really really useful and it's easy to do because if these people are already within your linkedin network you can even search on company names so you can see very quickly, you know, who is there that you've worked with before. If there are people you haven't connected with, connect them now, you know, reestablish that relationship again. Mm-hmm. No, ver- very good. Maybe just to take it back even to the CV then, um, we're, we're doing the job yeah. searching, but getting our getting our resume, CV resume for those folks in the US that might be listening um, in good shape. What are, what, what does a modern day resume look like, right? I'm sure it has changed a lot and I hire a lot of people in the project management space and I get varying uh, types, but they're all probably a little bit similar. Um, so I suppose how have they changed over time? What does it look like? What what should it look like? So it will differ because you mentioned there about, you know, the resume in the States. So it will differ between the States, for example, and Europe, because I think with the States, the resumes tend to be a little bit shorter, even in countries like, um, let's say, Germany and France, it tends to be shorter style CVs as well whereas in Ireland I think we tend to go well I suppose Ireland and the UK we tend to go for maybe a little bit more detail but I, you know I think I think about I think back to when I started in recruitment have have CVs essentially changed much you know over those kind of 18 years I actually don't think they have so much but I think I think what has changed though is that job seekers have become a bit more savvy as to like how to adapt and tailor their CV to the role that they're applying for you know and I think there are people are starting to realize that that time is really worth making that time and effort investment mm. and in in that 
Can you give me an example of what like a, a tailored CV could look like for for a project management role or something you've seen recently that maybe popped out and you said, wow, that, that is well tailored and I can see why that could be attractive for a potential employer? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing is that um, it's really easy to spot a generic CV. So you can tell if someone has just sent out a CV that could be sent out to any organisation or to any role. So first of all, you know, employers spot that. They know that it's 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 pretty obvious. Right. So any steps that you can take to, it's, I suppose it's, it's really down to looking at the job spec and going through it with the fine tooth comb and trying to identify, okay, so like what in terms of the key responsibilities that are here and the key skills, experience and behavior is that this employer is looking for, what do I have? And how can I match that up? But it's about getting that across, let's say, on the, you know, the CV profile, the introduction part of your CV and then in the body of your CV as well. So giving relevant examples that showcase your experience in that, you know, in terms of that match with the job spec. Okay, so give them what they're looking for in lots of ways as well, though, right? You're, You're really creating a resume, a CV that gives the employer what what they're looking for from the responsibilities that they're talking about. Absolutely, because I suppose when you think about it from a hiring manager perspective, you know, and particularly if you have a number of CVs to sift through, like if you can read a CV where you're thinking, okay, it's quite obvious here that this person has, you know, skill one to five that we identified in the job spec. And I don't have any question marks. I'm not, I'm not kind of asking, oh I'm not sure if they have this or they don't because they've spelt it out that they have it and they've given solid examples so it, it's really really worthwhile doing not you know you, we'd, you'd probably see it in maybe 20 to 30 percent of CVs right that that are actually that little bit more standing out that are, you can yeah. see the work has gone into it yeah no that's that's interesting well, what about cover letters in in this day and age is that something that is still very important to I, I don't I don't recall I would say I looked at a hundred CVs in the last three or four months and very few if any had cover letters it does depend on the application process um some employers may request a cover letter others may not I think obviously when one is requested you, you need to provide one if one isn't requested it's probably very much a personal preference um, and it depends as well what way you're applying. So if it's through a, a particular piece of recruitment software, sometimes there won't be space or you won't have the option of, of attaching a cover letter. I think if you do decide to send in a cover letter, it's important that it's it just hits the mark quickly. So maybe, you know, three key, very concise paragraphs detailing, you know, how you feel you're you're a good fit for the role in terms of skills and experience um, and good opportunity actually to set out your motivation so why are you interested in the role and why this particular organization hmm. okay have you seen or advised folks on doing kind of cover videos at all or kind of using different media to apply to give to kind of back up their their cv or resume anything like that come up 
I think it can, I've seen that probably more in like maybe more creative, the creative industry. So okay. maybe like, you know, digital marketing roles, people get really creative, like they come up with really, really imaginative stuff, maybe for sales roles sometimes to an extent. And then I suppose like the bigger multinationals have gotten creative with their own processes themselves anyway. And sometimes they'll ask someone to create something like, like that as part of the process. So it, it depends, really, I suppose, on what area you're coming from. Okay. And then just on, on the recommended length of a CV. So, what, you know, you hear different things all the time. Um, and I've talked to two HR leaders in the last number of years, and one would say anything over two pages and they wouldn't throw it in the bin. And, and others that would be open to four or five pages. So it's it, it probably depends. But what's your experience with that? Yeah, so I think... It depends on the amount of experience that the candidate has. So, you know, if it was someone with anything up to maybe five years experience, I think they should be able to keep it to two pages. But realistically, you know, someone with 15 to 20 years experience, it's really challenging, I think, to keep it to two pages. And then, you know, you do want to showcase your experience. You don't want to leave out really key, valuable information. So I think for someone with that level of of seniority if it goes over to two and a half maybe three i think that's fine anything over three i think is hard harder for the reader to digest mm. and where do you stand on kind of font and and size and structure of it and, and even i've seen ones where certain words would be bolded and, and others maybe I, I with italics and you know some it sometimes it seems to work well other times it just seems to be random any any uh, advice on on the, how to make it look in, in a formatting perspective i think with formatting the more simple the better so you know just stick to the the same font a professional looking font you know the same font size I, i'm not a big fan of italics and bolding and things like that like obviously bolding for you know subject or if you're starting a, a new paragraph or you know, you it's like your career summary, for example, that needs to be in bold or uh, key responsibilities need to be in bold. But then just bolding random words in the middle of a paragraph. I'm not sure. You know, I think it can be a bit distracting. I just think simple is better, really, with formatting. Mm -hmm. OK, keep it simple. And what any particular advice on just the size of font? Because, again, I've seen people saying, oh, well, I've put a two two page CV in, but it's been like size eight and it could barely read it, you know, so just. Yeah, kind of I, I think 10 is probably the, the typical one, isn't it, for most most documents? Um, okay. I mean, I, w I really wouldn't go down to, you know, eight or 8.5, like where the reader can't even make it out or they need to go and go in and try and edit the document themselves. And then if it's, let's say, PDF, they can't do it. So, you know, you want to always think about the reader and what's make things as easy as possible for them. OK. Very good. Okay, so we've got tactical on the CV itself. It's in great shape now. It looks really well. Yes. Would you put a picture on it? Have you seen somebody attaching a picture, a photo on their CV? Is that kind of useful at all, do you think? It used to be a thing. I haven't seen it maybe in more recent years. And, like, I, you know, I think anyway, a lot of people are on LinkedIn yeah. and, and they have their photos on there. Um, so, 
Look, it's probably personal preference, sure. but I haven't seen it as much in recent yeah, years. Yeah. I guess it's probably just defunct, as you said, with uh, with LinkedIn and and all the uh, different social media stuff that we have out there. Um, exactly. so, so the CV is in. You've applied for it. How long should you wait now before you would hear something back from a potential employer? Um, maybe it varies by industry, varies, but probably by the, the 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 level the role is at. But what's your experiences on that guidance there? Yeah. So I think, you know, if you apply for a role through a recruitment agency, you can probably follow up a little bit quicker because I think they probably sift through CVs and they have a bit more time to do that than maybe HR department who's, you know, involved in a number of different things. Um, so maybe it's a recruitment agency. I might give it maybe you give it a week, you know, maybe follow up on the same business day of the next week that you originally applied on with employees. Employers, it's it's difficult to say because I think, particularly at the moment, you know, so much is sort of up in the air. Like if it's a really urgent role, like obviously they're going to to come back sooner rather than later. If it's something that is dependent on, you know, I suppose the outcome of the current situation, etc., then it is going to take them a little bit longer. And so I definitely would take that into consideration and make allowances for that. So. You know, I, I'd, I'd give it two weeks anyway, I think, at least before following up. And I think the most important thing, though, is for job seekers at the moment, if like if you don't hear back within, say, two to three weeks, like try and keep in that positive mind frame and don't assume, oh, it's a no because they didn't come back to me. You know, that may not necessarily be the case at all. They may not have come back to anyone. They're just, you know, they're trying to, to, to follow a process themselves. Maybe the process has slowed down. But. I always say to people, look, it's not a no until you officially hear it's a no. Mm -hmm. And would you ever, when you're applying, kind of even include, is there any chance you could, what would be a reasonable time frame where I might hear back? So you can kind of ask the question that gives you some sort of boundary, at least then there's some sort of over and back potentially going. I suppose it depends what way you're applying. I think, you know, a lot of the applications these days are through different, um, you know, types of recruitment software. So you may not get that even, you may not even have an email address or, or you know, that type of kind of direct contact. But I think in terms of, of you know, when, if you do decide to, to do that follow-up, like following your initial application and you're looking for an update, I suppose, you know, email is, is a good form if you can, if you can get an email address. Um, I would just be really careful about the tone of the email um, I, because, I, you know, you, I suppose you want to be able to reach out for an update, but in a way that you show understanding for, you know, maybe the challenges that the organisation has at the moment. So I just, you know, approach it very softly, softly and to say, you know, maybe I sent in my application for this role through whatever website, whatever it was on this date. And um, first of all, I just wanted to confirm if you receive my application. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes yeah. it may not come through for whatever reason. That's just a sure. like a, a basic thing. Um, and then, it's, you know, just to, to say, you know, we understand that maybe process may have slowed down at the moment. But if there were, you know, maybe any initial feedback or perhaps if you had any, if you required any additional information on my profile, I'd be very happy, you know, to supply this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it was a, just a touching base, really, more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, you're opening up maybe the dialogue a little bit and not kind of 
asking a very direct question at that point it's just kind of keeping things open yeah makes makes sense so we've got an email back and got a call from the recruiter saying congratulations you've been selected for interview so we're, we're moving along quite well here so now we have a week to prepare for the interview what are the the kind of key focus areas that we should be looking at that and again in 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 probably in a in this some it's my first time getting an interview in 10 years you know what do i need to to look for and to get ready for okay so first of all i would you know recommend that you try and find out as much about the format of the interview as possible because you know there can be different styles of interview with some interviews, you know, they may ask you to stand up and maybe give a presentation if it's a sales role, for example, um, or, you know, if it's a project management role, to do some kind of a whiteboard exercise or, you know, to, to show a methodology, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So find out as much as you can, first of all. Um, it, it's almost like going back to the job spec again. I think that's a really good starting point. So looking going through that job spec with a fine tooth comb so to see okay so what are the what are the key responsibilities of the role and what have I done in the past exactly that match up with this or that are maybe relevant to this you know what skills experience and behaviors are they looking for and then preparing your answers around that because they're probably going to be the likely questions you know because they sat down and ended up this job spec and this is the role that they're interviewing for so you know, if you're prepared based on the job spec versus your CV, that's a really good starting point. Mm-hmm. So to work out scenario, not scenarios, are very clear worked examples that uh, that that you've you've had in your career. That at least then, and I know myself when I've interviewed people, if they talk about a project they've worked on, they're intimately aware of everything that happened and you can see the the emotion and the the, the real learnings that came out of it, as opposed to them trying to make it up a little bit because they you'll get caught out if you're not being very I suppose genuine with examples from the experience right exactly and I think so much of it is around those examples Rob so it's really thinking through you know you know so maybe you've experienced but it was five years ago but you really need to get your thinking cap and and detail that out in your preparation so you know to to go through in depth what was that example what was that project maybe that you worked on and what did you do what was your part what did you achieve and then I suppose another thing is you know if 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 you find out that it's going to be like a behavioral or a competency interview there's specific preparation that you can do around that in advance as well Mm -hmm. and it's okay to ask them very clearly beforehand what type of interview should I expect can you give me more details because sometimes people might think oh maybe I'm, I'm asking too much or they're giving me too much you know it, it's perfectly fine to ask those questions right I think so like you know I, I, it's probably better to be specific so you know if you were going to ask okay so is it likely to be a behavioral or a competency interview because if it is then normally the company will send you on the behaviors or competencies or they might be on the job spec that was advertised so then it's, it's actually easy enough to prepare your examples in advance using the star method you know for for those questions and um, that I think it's in fairness, most employers would let you know if you're expected to stand up and do some kind of a, you know, a presentation or a role play. So they'll have a process in place. But if if the information that you have is quite vague, I think, you know, it's perfectly fine to ask those questions. You know, you're not asking, OK, what, what questions are you going to ask me in the interview? You're just asking about what's the structure and how can you best prepare? OK, very good. The question of probably the most common question is tell me about yourself at the start of an interview. 
how does one prepare for that what what should they share should they be kind of smart about it and, and tie it into the role or you know what what typically would be the advice there it's asked so much and i think so many people struggle with that question so mm-hmm. it's good that you brought it up but i think where people go wrong with it is that they they start almost it's like a biography and they start talking about you know where they studied and their first role and their second role and if that's not necessarily why the employer is asking it. Sometimes actually they only ask it as more of an icebreaker at the start. There isn't really a massive intention behind it. But I think it's like what you're saying, you know, if you could be smart about it and give something that's short and concise and, you know, just a summary, a quick summary of your background, but to tie it in as to, you know, how you are a fit for this role or to kind of bring it around to why you're motivated to apply for this role. Mm -hmm. So it's, not, they don't want to know everything that's on your CV, you know, in that that answer. Mm. The short and concise piece is interesting, right? I've, again, the experience I've had is sometimes people in interviews like to just keep talking because it's filling the space and they're not comfortable maybe with the silence and they're panicking then if they think they're not making a good impression. How do you coach people to be comfortable with just a short, concise answer and, you know, sit back a little bit what what are the ways that they can do that because I think that's a big thing yeah absolutely so and I think it, it's a fine balance then as well because we want you know targeted concise answers yet in some questions employers are looking for a good bit of depth in the answer so it's really about getting that balance and then also we don't want you know the candidate going off on a tangent and not really answering the question directly so I, I think to be honest about I suppose the way that I would coach that is really just going through examples and, you know, getting them to answer questions. And then I suppose I would give them feedback on that. So I think really with that, it's more practice than anything else and getting feedback from from someone who's so, you know, not practicing it on yourself, but actually practicing it with someone else. Sure. And I would imagine in your coaching, you do kind of mock interviews with people to kind of walk right through and you know do it like a complete simulated effectively right so absolutely yeah and I think that's probably the most valuable part of that interview coaching you know where you'd go through an actual simulated interview you know let the person give all the answers and it's kind of critiquing each answer afterwards so you know what worked really well you know what could you do better and like and actually what do they think themselves because I think once once the person reflects back, you know, they're like, OK, no, I know I actually I went off on a bit of a tangent there. I need to focus that I could have talked about this instead, you know. So it's just to do that, I suppose, that little bit of critical analysis. Mm-hmm. Would you record uh, one of those kind of mock interviews with a candidate that, that you've been working with that to give them that powerful feedback by looking at it backward again? Yeah, if people want to, you know, if yeah. it's I'm completely open to it. it, some people want, some people feel a little bit uh, an element of paranoia <laughs> I suppose, with that. And then other people love that. So it just depends on the personality mm-hmm. of the client, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, very good. The question around your biggest weakness, if they purposely say weakness, do you turn it around into, oh, I talk about opportunities, you know, you want to try and give the right answer, but not to make it sound too canned or prepared, I suppose. So that's always one that's interesting. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's another one that almost everyone struggles with, you know, because it's, 
you know, I almost avoid looking at, you know, prescribed internet answers. Like I think it needs to be something that genuinely comes from you because the other thing is like, I think we need to remember at all times that the person who's interviewing us, or there might be a few people, it might be a panel, they're human beings you know we pick up on people's energy like you can sense if someone is just you know sort of repeating something that they they felt looked good because they read it off the internet or if it's something that genuinely comes from them from their experience so that when you want to get the balance of you know talking about something that's genuine yet obviously not using an example that would cause you you know, not to be a fit for the role or not to be considered. So it's something that, you know, is genuine, but not overly negative. And then obviously turning that around, you know, to explain how you're aware of that, what you've done to address it, you know, and what further steps you're taking. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah, no, good, 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 uh, good answer to to that one. Um, When it comes to the point where uh, and I'm jumping around a little bit, but when when the interview is over and you're asked, what, any que- do you have any questions for for us? What what should people be preparing for in that? Having a few, you know, that that they could bring in if it feels appropriate. Yes, I think it's it it's really important to have some questions prepared because you know, in my experience, when people don't it's like, oh no, that's okay, I don't have any, you know, don't have any questions. It's a great opportunity like to show your motivation and your enthusiasm. And that's so, so important. It really is, because even if you have all of the technical skill, skills, you know, to do the role, that like motivation and enthusiasm, you just that's not something, you know, it's either there or it isn't. And that's a great opportunity to get that across. So, again, I would just say it needs to be if it can be something that you genuinely would like to know that will come across best. Now, sometimes I know people might have questions prepared and they were already answered during the interview. But if you like, if you really, as a candidate, try to actively listen, there should be things that are mentioned, you know, during the course of the interview that you'd like to know more about. But obviously keeping those questions, you know, relevant to the role and the organisation and, you know, not anything about salary or, you know, when should I expect to hear back? You know, try to keep it keep it to something that shows your motivation for the role mm. and and always when i think about it interviews i've done or been in if um if somebody brings up something that as you said pops up during the interview in real time and they can turn it into a question is 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 Im- impressive you know that they're listening they're they're thinking on their feet they're able to kind of bring something out and and put it back on um the interviewers that that is powerful so thinking about that is good Absolutely. And like, as you said, that can be even more impressive, you know, asking questions as the interview goes on, as long as not too many either, I suppose. It's just where you really genuinely want to know. What about the interviewer? Say before the interview, you're told this is the person that's going to be interviewing you. Um, Can you do a bit of research on potentially that person? You don't want to go, you know, that whole going on to LinkedIn and looking them up and that then they're going to see that you're looking them up and unless you have probably premium level or, but it's not to be kind of being a private investigator here, but what, what could you do to kind of get a bit of background so that you might be able to use that to your advantage perhaps? Plus you get mixed opinions on this. Like personally, I have no problem with anyone looking at my LinkedIn profile. And I think if you have a LinkedIn profile up there, it is for professional networking, it's for professional reasons. So, you know, if I was carrying out an interview and I saw that someone had looked up my LinkedIn profile in advance, I would just think that they're very well prepared and they're doing their research. 
you know, okay, now if they were, I suppose, if they were trying to look up maybe your Instagram account or something like that, I don't know. But I think definitely LinkedIn is a great place to go. And then, you know, if it's, I suppose if it's a very senior person in the organization that's interviewing you, sometimes on corporate websites, you'll see a profile of the person on their website as well. So you can look that up. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even just go on, just Google them. And I've seen exactly. videos of them presenting or, or talking or being interviewed and things like that are quite that's interesting. It. You know, you can see obviously some of their interests and so and the, maybe the way they communicate and maybe you would have heard that person's voice in the past so then next the first time you hear it you're not maybe as thrown so things like that you can kind of get a rounded perspective i think works well yeah exactly what about just researching on the company then as well and and what you should be prepared to answer if they ask questions on you know why do you want to work for x y and z you know not to be spitting back because they've earned you know revenue of seven billion this year and not to can it too much either but what's your thoughts on that you know obviously i think you you, you do need to look up the corporate website it's really important you know to understand the, the facts and the figures and you know the news articles and what's going on for them let's say what their opportunities and challenges are um but you know, if there are other ways that you can really think about, okay, but like, what is it specifically about this organization that attracts me? So let's say if it's, I don't know, maybe an online advertising company. So what is it about that particular online advertising company over their competitor that really attracts you to them? I think that's what employers want to see. It's like, you're not that you're applying for any old role with any any organization in that industry what is it specifically about them why do you really want to work for them and be genuine about it obviously absolutely yeah so i think you need to think that through it's maybe not necessarily something you might get a the website might trigger something or maybe you know something that they have online or on another social media platform might trigger some thoughts or you know let's say you look at their their corporate values and maybe some of those resonate with you but trying to make it I suppose a little bit more personal to you as opposed to well we have this much revenue and I was really impressed with that so to make it a bit more more personal to you as a candidate. Mm -hmm. Very good what about some complete no-go areas in an interview from uh, an interviewee's perspective what are the, the the big gotchas you've seen that you just kind of remind people not to to bring up so like i think you know people have generally have a good idea you know of okay you know what are the no-go areas and particularly in relation to you know not to make any i suppose could cause an issue within a legal context i think most people have that common sense that they know certain things not to say I think actually where a lot where candidates need to be a little bit more careful is towards the end of the interview because sometimes people tend to kind of relax a bit more and they're like oh thank god it's nearly over now so I'm nearly out the door and that's when they might actually say because they're kind of caught off guard then and that's when they're more likely to say something that they didn't mean to say or that kind of somehow goes against them in a professional manner. Um, but like definitely, I think, you know, the questions that I mentioned previously about, you know, maybe not asking um, questions about the conditions of the role, you know, like salary or working hours or, you know, try to keep your, your questions based on the role and the organisation itself. Now, I suppose it depends on what part of the process you're at, because if you're a third round interview and you do want to know let's say if there's flexibility with working hours that's probably okay at that point but maybe not at the first interview sure yeah no that that definitely makes sense and and in the world we're living in now 
I would imagine interviews are done more like what we're doing right now, even though we're both in Cork, you know, we're, we're interviewing each other or talking to each other over Skype. Like, what's what's different that you need to prepare for if you're going to be doing your interview um, over video conference as opposed to potentially in person? Just some, some thoughts around that, perhaps. Some people are already comfortable with video conferences and they do it on a daily basis with work. So so that's great if that's your current situation. If it's not, yeah, if it's not, so I would get practicing, basically. So let's say, for example, you get called for an interview and it's over Zoom or it's over Skype for business or whatever it is, whatever platform. Um, if you don't have the technology already installed in your laptop, I'd recommend that you install it well in advance of the interview. So not the day of the interview, you know, lots going on, um, you know, in terms of preparation. So a couple of days in advance, but then try and, and try it out with someone else. So let's say, for, like, I think, you know, a lot of companies actually are using Zoom at the moment. Find someone, friend or family, who also uses Zoom, try it out with them. And I think for people like who, who maybe aren't as comfortable with, with video conference technology, um, getting used to actually seeing themselves on the screen is really important and how they sound as well, because it's all a little bit different. And then in an interview scenario, it just can add to the interview nerves a bit. Mm -hmm. So practicing is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I presume checking beforehand with the um interviewer or the hitter of, of attire and you know just because you're working from home doesn't mean you shouldn't put on your best clothes or, or your you know your your interview outfit and things like that are probably important other things just to be cognizant of i guess absolutely all the basics and even things like you know making sure that the your mobile phone number because if there was some issue with the video conference technology as it can be sometimes that at least they can ring you, that you have your phone fully charged as well. You know, you're in a quiet room, you have your laptop plugged in, you know, on full battery, all of those things. It's probably, you know, things that we, we don't need to think about as much with face to face. Mm -hmm. Get all those little logistics in, in place for sure. So, yeah. no, that, that's cool. So like the interview is done and you, you shake hands and you're leaving the post-interview kind of period then, what are some of the, the things you would advise somebody to say, you know, after the interview, five minutes, hours, days, you know, brain dump stuff, just kind of best practices around that? What, what comes up for that? Yeah, well, I, I think a really good practice um, that, you know, people, people have mentioned to me that they do is, you know, after the interview, they make their own notes straight after so they might go for a quick coffee and make some notes because that can be really useful for if they're invited back for a second round or whatever the next round is um you know so just to reflect back on what it what examples did they give what answers did they give what were they asked um, so that can be really useful or to make notes of things that were mentioned you know by by the interviewers um in terms of then let's say you know next stages so I suppose most companies will give some kind of a sense at the end of the interview as to maybe what the time frame is for follow up or who, you know, who the, the job seeker will hear from. Um, you know, so I suppose you need to just obviously follow those instructions. Um, I think it is really, really nice if, you know, if you have the email address of the person who is scheduling the interview to send thank you email. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's it's to be honest, kind of rare these days. I don't know. You know, you, you yeah. see it every now and then, but it's it's a really nice touch. I was going to add, that was a question I was going to ask. What's your thoughts on that? Because sometimes I've got it and and I thought it was nice. And sometimes I got it. It didn't feel as 
genuine either. You, you know, so it, I think yeah. it probably depends on the, the sentiment coming out of the interview and if you had a really good connection as opposed to you felt it went terrible and you still sent it anyway. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky one. Exactly. And that could be the difference between someone who just has a template that they send to every company that they interview you with versus someone who actually put some thought into it, you know, and thought about the specifics of the interview, what they enjoyed, you know, having had the interview, what they what their thoughts are now about the role and the organization, you know, so it's that tailoring again is important. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. So, so as we stand back from it, it's planning is so important, right? The whole way through planning every step, looking at it as a, as a complete process um, and, and thinking through it, putting yourself in different scenarios, you know, as, as coaches try to, to do with people, get them to look at things from different perspectives, gives you that more of a rounded view, put yourself in the interviewer's shoes, I suppose, or in their seat and, and kind of what would you ask them? Uh, any other kind of key things that we maybe didn't touch on in the, in all the steps, Lorraine, that you find very impactful or useful for, for the folks you might coach for, for interviews? I actually think what you just mentioned there, Rob, is really key to it. So, you know, you're you're going through this experience as a job seeker, you know, as a candidate. Yet the more that you can actually try to step into the shoes of the employer, I think the more success you'll have. Now, it isn't always easy, but it's just to ask yourself that question. So, you know, when you're preparing your CV, think about, okay, so if I was, you know, if I was this employer and I was hiring for this role, what kind of keywords would I be looking out for on a CV? You know, what kind of statements would would impress me if I was the hiring manager? Like the more you can actually try and step into their shoes, the better. And the, the same applies then for like the interview process as well. So thinking about what would they like to see or even, you know, what kind of of attitudes and behaviors would you need to display in the the interview you know to to work well in this organization mm, no definitely yeah i think that that is very very true one question i didn't ask as we were kind of going through but it would just pop back up here when you're looking at a job description or a job that you see advertised you think you're maybe a 60 percent match or 50 percent match some of the key skills or you know ma- like uh, not just mandatory responsibilities but you know very required desirable you don't have or you feel you have a bit ha- have but but you're confident that if you got in the door for the interview you, you know you could impress them with attitude and with your motivation how do you what's your recommendation for somebody then if they have a 50 percent match of a cv do you kind of advise them to maybe tweak it to to make it look more or um or or, or are there wasting their time in some instances, do you think? I would say that it's good to look at the, the job description and try to assess, like, what are the mandatory skills? So, like, what are the must-haves for this employer? And hopefully they've laid it out in a way that you can you can see that. It's not just a jumble of 20 things that they're looking for. So I think if you fit most of the mandatory requirements, but you don't, maybe you're missing some of the desired skills or the things that are maybe a nice to have, I would definitely... 100% recommend that you apply because often these nice to have skills are things that are just there's sometimes they're things that are plucked out of thin air literally or they're just you know they're put down as part of oh yeah well that would be nice to have and mm-hmm. but it's really the the must haves that are you know the really the really key criteria for the role and I think um 
there's actually been some research done as well to say that um, females are much less likely to apply for, for a role if they don't have like all of the criteria that are set out in the job spec. Males okay. are more, more likely to apply. Okay. Well, that's where coaching comes in uh, handy to kind of give them that motivation to actually do it and not. Yeah, I think I remember reading that as well. Some like what, what percentage did you say if, 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 if males saw 80 percent, they would definitely apply. And if females were so 50 percent, they, they, they definitely wouldn't or, or something similar. To that. It was, I think it was even more of a differential. Yeah. Like, I th- yeah, I think it was maybe ten, only 10 to 20 percent of women Whoa. would have applied. Yeah. So women are a bit tougher on themselves when it comes to applying for for mm. jobs yeah no that's interesting to know that as well yeah. Lorraine that's been fascinating I think we've gone through a hell of a lot there so hopefully folks listening will, will get something out of it was there any anything we didn't touch uh, yeah I, I think we I think we touched on most of it but like I I think just maybe going back to the job search process again mm. like you know, I do think that people have an awful lot going on at the moment. It is a very, you know, it's I suppose it's a challenging time for everyone. So, you know, really kind of like setting out a very simple plan for yourself. And, you know, as a job seeker, seeker maybe if you just had a goal of do one thing each day, mm-hmm. you know, and if you accomplish that one task, whatever it is, applying for a certain role or, you know, putting your CV up on Monster or updating your LinkedIn profile, you mm-hmm. know, to be happy with that. Because I think what happens is that sometimes, you know, people think they need to sit down for eight hours and do like eight hours of job searching and go really intense into it. And then you sort of burn out and get demotivated. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely great advice if you... In a, in a project mindset, you know, you might have 10 tasks you're going to do to before you can click apply if you do one of, or two of them every day, because chances are, I know when I've done my own, you know, your LinkedIn bio, you do it today and in a week's time you change 50% of it because new things come in. So it's not to kind of say it's it's ever done. It's always kind of evolving and, and kind of just chipping away at it is probably the best approach, right? Exactly. And actually, and one thing I, I meant to mention as well is really important to keep um, a track record of everywhere that you submit your CV. So, you know, the where where you applied and um, the date, just to keep a record of it, because in a month's time, it might be hard to, to think back and remember and just to kind of avoid duplication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we keep a, some sort of spreadsheet or a log of, of all the things you're applying for. Yeah, very planful. Exactly. Um, but but often like great advice but often the stuff we just don't do as you said um that kind of keeps us on keeps us on track if we take a few minutes every day to do that so Lorraine that, that's been fascinating before we wrap up folks can get in touch with you on your website on an email hopefully from listening to this you've given away some of the of the gold but not all of it so that you know other people might want to, to check in and learn more and and get some help from you perhaps yeah absolutely so um do you, I think you you probably will send a link to my website. I will, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. All my contact details are there. So if anyone needs any any help or advice with anything, anything, I'm always here, happy to help. Brilliant. Yeah, I'll be doing that. And you you coach folks from all over, right? not just Ireland, but internationally as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, like everywhere. I I've had a client recently. Um, well, the last couple of years actually, she's a repeat client, and she's based in the south of France so every time you know we coach online I can see the beautiful weather in the background and <laughs> so I, I suppose it's a good thing about coaching as well that it can be you know it's not country specific you know it can all be done remotely I do it face to face as well obviously but for people who are based outside of Cork it's, yeah. it's online 
Yeah, brilliant. The the wonders of technology helps massively there as well. Thanks so much for doing this. I really enjoyed it. Got some good tips for myself as well if I'm starting to look in the future. And uh, I, I look forward to sharing this out. So again, thanks a million, Noreen. Thanks so much for inviting me, Rob. It was, it was great. Great to talk to you. No bother. Great to see you as well. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Take care. Thank you. Hey folks, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking, leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone. Pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past. And it will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free. And interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.